Well, very warm greetings to you, my friends. This is Pastor Brad Abley with a Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry, a ministry that is designed to take you deeper into the Word of God. Now, my friends, when you're hearing this broadcast, I will be celebrating my 40th wedding anniversary with my beloved wife, Maureen. And um, <clears throat> normally I don't say much about... Uh, I try not to say too much about myself. I don't really say much about uh, Maureen, but she is a massive blessing to me from God. And my marriage has been extremely blessed all these decades. I just want to give praise to God. Someone, when I was on a ministry trip to Kenya last month, um, someone that I was sitting next to, I happened to mention, he asked me about, well, are you married and um, <clears throat> how long have you been married, etc. And when I said to him, we'll be celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary coming up soon, um, he said to me, well, what's your, what's your secret? What is, what is the, what information can you pass on to me about success in marriage? You know, and I said, you must practice forgiveness because two different people are in a relationship and you must be committed to humility. Then the third thing I mentioned is that love is not always an emotional thing, but love, uh, at least the biblical idea of love, is unconditional, it's sacrificial, it is giving, and it is serving. And Jesus himself said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, they will uh, pour into your lap. And he said, if, if you're merciful, people will be merciful to you in return. And so when we, when we bless, when we encourage, when we um, invest time with one another, these are the things that make a marriage successful. Not my message is, is not on marriage today, but nevertheless, as I say, when you hear this message, this we will be celebrating our 40th uh, anniversary, and that's a big deal. And so I'm sharing this in hopes that, and trusting the Lord, that it just this testimony will encourage many of you who are listening. Now, let's pray before we get into today's message. And uh, one of the things I want to pray for is for those of you who are discouraged. Those of you who are discouraged, I want to pray Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 25 over you. And then we'll pray for the message itself as well. So I'm going to pray Jeremiah 31. It's a memory verse, but... I haven't used it for a while, so I want to turn to it. I'm going to pray this over you for those of you who are struggling or discouraged. Father, your word says that you will satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone who languishes. That is, who is dismayed or who has become faint, even can refer to a failure of mental energy. Your word says, I satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone 
who languishes. And so, Father, would you do that now for many, many listeners throughout this listening broadcast. And as we get ready to go into your word, we look to you, Holy Spirit. Nobody can teach like you. You are the master teacher. And unless you open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, we are not going to get we're not going to get anything out of this. And so we ask for your grace and your mercy, your presence and your power to operate in our lives, change us and transform us for the glory of the Father and of the Son. And let us bear great fruit for your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, my friend, do you know what human beings, even Christians, are far too impressed with? You know, there's a lot of things that we human beings are impressed with. Most of them are not worth being impressed by. But the one thing that really stands out to me as far as today's message is concerned, you'll see the relevance in just a moment, is that too many people, Christians are included because too many Christians are not discerning. They don't know their Bibles, but they're too impressed with numbers. That is what people are, are far too impressed with. How many people are doing this or, or doing that because they want to fit in? Or how much money or how much money do you make? Christians and ministers and churches are far, far too impressed with large crowds. Now, listen, my friends, numbers are important to God. No question about that. We can see, for example, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that 3,000 people were saved. Luke makes a point of emphasizing that. And, of course, Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But numbers and crowds are never the entire story. In fact, John began with that very emphasis in John chapter 1 and verse 14. He came to his own and his own did not receive them. Do you know that Jesus was never impressed with numbers anyway? Let me point it out to you. And for example, in John, uh, I'm doing my own personal study in John right now. And so it's very much on my mind. In John chapter 2 and verse 23. Let me mention this to you. John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. Verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. And you see this being played out in chapter 6 of John. In chapter 6 and uh, verses 60 and 66, Jesus said some very hard things to his followers. And John tells us in verse 60, John 6, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. This is a hard statement. Who can listen to it? And then in verse 
66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him any longer. And so that helps us to understand our passage today. And especially as we're going to read a man who expressed surprise that Jesus did not have more people, that he didn't have more salvations than he did at this point in his ministry. And it was, a, it was getting more and it was getting closer to his crucifixion. Well, I'm taking a long time to mention that the title of this message today is simply a question. Are there just a few who are being saved? Are there just a few who are being saved? And our passage is in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. Luke chapter 13 verses 22 through 30. We are in the Know Your Faith series as we go through the Gospel of Luke. If you've missed any messages in Luke, listen friends, just go to my website. You can listen um, to every message that I preached on Luke thus far, right from Luke chapter 1. Just go to bradably.com. And, and click on the, um, the uh, audio messages. Brad, B as in boy, R-A-D as in David, Abley, A, B as in boy, L-E-Y.com. Let me mention it one more time. Bradably.com, and it's spelled B as in boy, R-A-D as in David, A, B as in boy, L-E-Y dot com. And you can listen to any of the messages that you have missed. Now, let's go to Luke 13 and verse 22. And he, Jesus, was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. What Luke means by that is that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to be crucified in our place to suffer the wrath of the Father upon you and upon me. We deserve to be punished for eternity in hell, but Jesus is the Savior of the world. He took our sin upon himself so that if we would yield our lives to him, trust him, and make him our Lord and Savior, we are we never will have to approach the judgment seat, the great white throne judgment of God and stand account for our sins. That is available to you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus at the end of this message today. And so that is where he's going. Verse 23, and someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, verse 24, notice there was a man who asked this question, but Jesus said it to everyone. Now that includes his disciples, and it might include, because he was speaking in the presence of the scribes and the Pharisees, so it probably includes everyone. So he says, Lord, are there just a few 
who are being saved. And he said to them, again, everyone, including you and me, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Verse 25, and once the, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Verse 26, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, verse 27, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. This is Jesus speaking. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, he tells us in verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. And they will come, speaking about Gentiles, they will come from east and west and north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And that phrase is used to refer to the great joy and celebration of eternal life. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. You know, my friends, it occurs to me that Jesus could easily have said this to this to his questioner. Why are he the question was, are there just a few who are being saved? Jesus could have said to him, it certainly isn't my fault. It's their fault for not following me, for not heeding my message. And he would be right about that, wouldn't he? You know, I'm really astonished at how often Jesus urged his disciples and the crowds to take his words seriously. Basically, virtually all of Luke 12 and 13 have an unrelenting focus on taking the words of Jesus seriously with a gracious, a gracious warning to those who don't. My friends, I would say that one of the things that grieves me the most and certainly one of the saddest, most tragic things in this life are that people do not take the words of Jesus seriously. Now, for those who do, there is the greatest joy and delight. Today, I had a long, uh, I call it a prayer bike ride, where I ride my bike at a place called the Great Dismal Swamp Bike Canal. It's a hobby. I get exercise, but it's an entirely, the entire time, 
from the time it takes me to get there to the time I get home. It's about an hour and a half, and the entire time is in prayer. What a joy that I had in that prayer time, because I'm taking the words of Jesus seriously when he said, for example, men ought to pray at, at always and not give in, not quit, not stop. Now, for those who don't take the words of Jesus seriously, you know, there are severe consequences in this life, but the severest consequences throughout eternity. And all that is not, all that is not on God, but it's on those who refuse to heed his word. And so my friends, I'm appealing to you and to myself. There are no truer words in existence. There are no more important words in existence than the lips of Jesus found in scripture. And this is what we find in our passage today. In Jesus' explanation of true salvation. And the entire point of this passage is found in the question asked in verse 23, followed by Jesus' explanation and his answer. But first, listen, we might be able to sympathize with this anonymous questioner when we consider that by this time in Jesus' three-year ministry, his countless miracles, which were expected and prophesied of the Messiah and which no one else did and no one else has done since then, despite his unmatched authoritative teaching, despite the crowds of multiple thousands, all the, the dead being raised, the blind seeing, all the people who had demons cast out and were healed dramatically, there was still only a relatively small amount of true believers who followed him. Now, it's true that after his resurrection, he had appeared to more than 500 in Galilee. And then again, on the day of Pentecost, there were only 120 disciples. Think about that. That is, that is, that's appalling. After all the, the hundreds of thousands of, of people that Jesus preached to, and there was only roughly seven, 620 disciples. But that is John's assessment of, of the life and ministry of Jesus. In John 1, verse 14, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And yet here he is on the way to be crucified for the sins of the world. And yet he also knew that multiplied millions, perhaps even billions of people would eventually come to faith in him before his return. Now, a question like the one that Jesus received in verse 23, it really could have undermined many preachers or pastors if someone said, why don't we have more people in our congregation, which happens all the time? Listen, elder boards fire pastors if the congregation doesn't grow enough or if they believe the church isn't attracting young people or enough young people. 
It happens every day, at least throughout the United States, all over the United States. Shame on elder boards uh, or congregation members who undermine a godly pastor because, because quote-unquote, the congregation isn't growing enough or, quote-unquote, there's not a young, enough young people. It is not the job of the pastor to bring in all the young people. It's not the job of the pastor necessarily even to grow the church. Look at yourself. Are you bringing in people? Now listen, just imagine if the pastor responded like Jesus to his questioner. <laughs> that would be a good thing. If G if a pastor said uh if if a pastor said to a board of elders or a congregation, why aren't we growing enough? And he says, "Strive to enter through the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able." Imagine if a pastor answered that way. I think he would be laughed at and scorned and accused, oh, you don't have enough faith. But you see, my friends, Jesus was never moved by numbers. He was not moved by what he saw. He was moved by obedience to the Father. And that is why he was successful in his ministry. Now, salvation is a once for all decision. But in verse 24, what we also learn from Jesus is that it is a serious, ongoing process. Throughout one's life as a believer, listen, there are going to be many, many temptations to stop walking with the Lord. There are going to be disappointments with the Lord, but always and only because we lack His full understanding or we fail to understand fully his purposes and his ways, my friends. People are going to hurt us, and the Lord will allow those things to happen to us. He won't ordain them, but he will allow these things to happen. And in fact, those things and those people will turn into tests for us. Will we forgive them or not? Will we curse them or bless them? When things don't go our way, will we blame God or harden our hearts against him? These are the things that happen to believers every single day. We'll be scandalized by other believers, by church leaders, by Christian friends. And God knows all along that these things are going to happen. But let me ask you this question. During those times, where will your faith be? Where will my faith be? Will our eyes and our hearts be upon him so that no evil thing or person can drive us away from him? Clearly, my friends, these are serious questions, aren't they? They're vital questions. They're questions that we must deal with. But now let's turn our attention. Well, let me, before I do that, let me just remind us of something that is of great importance. In Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, if you'll turn with me to Philippians, if you have a Bible, to Philippians chapter 2, I believe it's verses 12 and 13. I am turning there. 
There we go. Philippians chapter 12 and verse 12. I'm sorry, Philippians 2 and verse 12. Listen to the Apostle Paul's appeal. So then, listen to how he speaks to the church. My beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, when Jesus says, in response to this man's question, are there just a few who are being saved? He says to strive to enter through the narrow door. That word strive is where we get our word agonize from. To agonize. It, it refers to intense effort. Now, we, we're not saved through our own effort. We're not saved through our works. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But we also have to cooperate and participate with the Holy Spirit to grow, to protect our salvation. And that is what Jesus means. There are going to be, as I just mentioned, intentionally, thousands and thousands of opportunities for us to turn away from our faith. And that's why Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Broad, he says in Matthew, is the, is the way, broad is the gate that, oh, I'm going to mess this up. Let me turn there. In uh, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Verse 14, Matthew 7, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Where are you today, my friend? Are you a Christian, but you have backslidden? Are you a Christian, but you're not taking your relationship with the Lord seriously? Are you a Christian, but you've got one foot in the world and, and one foot in the kingdom? Are you a Christian and you don't pay much attention to your growth and, and the demand that, that you produce fruit for the Lord? Then by God's grace and through his redemptive providence, this message is for you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. And I'd like you to pray with me right now. These are This prayer is for Christians. So would you pray with me these words? Heavenly Father, pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you even more than the message. Thank you for your words of truth. And now, Lord Jesus, I humble myself before you. And I ask you to forgive me 
of my apathy, my carelessness, my sin, and for not taking you and your words seriously. Now, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would renew and revive me and ignite my heart to be on fire for you all the days of my life. I surrender my entire life to you afresh. In your name, amen. Until next week, my friends, may the Lord keep you in the palm of his hand. God bless you.